0: Awesome. Well, it's a, a privilege as always to be here this morning to share around God's Word. So we're just going to or not waste any time. We're just going to get straight into it. Well, so why don't we pray together? Lord, I thank you that we can come and we can learn about what you have to say for us. And I pray that these uh, next few moments that we have together sharing your Word will be fruitful and will reveal something about your character that we haven't seen already or that we need to be reminded of. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to be content in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, the title of my message is called The Secret of Contentment. The Secret of Contentment. Not contempt, content. That's right, we'll get there. And I'll be reading this morning from Philippians 4 fantastic book, and I've been meditating on this idea of what it means to be content for a little while now, and I can tell you it is simply complicated. It it is a simple concept that we make complicated because we are human beings and we like to do that, but really it's one of those things. There is no gimmick. It really is as simple as what is outlined in his words, so let's get straight into it this morning. Read from Philippians 4 verse 10. You can turn there with me if you have your Bibles. And Paul's actually writing to the Philippian church. He's saying thank you. At this point in his letter, he's gone through uh, a a wealth of teaching, very thankful teaching. uh, And out of all of his epistles, this is a pretty nice one as far as some of them go. And he comes to the end and he actually starts to thank them for a gift uh, that he had received from them. We're not told what the gift is, uh, but this is him talking About that gift, and he says this: "How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again! I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live in with almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty." Or little for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength now I'm sure in life we've all had ups and downs that's a relative thing to each person but the regardless of what your experiences are I can guarantee that you know what an up is in life and you have felt the downs in life for me finishing school, which is slowly getting further and further away in my memory, was a highlight. Uh, I came to the end of school, was feeling pretty good. I worked hard. I got the principal's award of my school. I was one of the captains. It was a brilliant year. Didn't really do much, but looks good on a resume. And uh, I did well in my score. My score was pretty good for doing all humanities. I wasn't a science guy. And I got into my uni course. Things were going good. And the week afterwards, 25 or so of my friends, we went to Noosa, had a couple of mansions on the beach. It was fantastic, best week of my life. That was an up. That was an up. Still, that, that week of holidays where there was pure nothingness is still a highlight in my life. It was still an up moment. But then, not long after that, came a down moment. And I, I was assistant youth pastor at a church in Brisbane. And we were setting up for a youth camp. And Tribal Wars was going to be off the hook this particular year because I was in charge of it. There was tomatoes, there was flour, there was giant slingshots, there was sprinklers uh, hung up high going over black plastic with detergent. This was insane. But as I was setting up, it was the day before, there was a few kids around helping set up tents and things and leaders around, and we were setting up this Tribal Wars arena. And we had a very large ladder there because we actually had targets that were significantly high that we were shooting with the slingshots and tomatoes. It's very youthy, it's exciting stuff. Uh, But I decided to climb up a ladder, and this ladder was about five or six metres high and fasten a rope that actually spanned the arena. And as I was just finishing off the knot, there was people holding down everything. We took every precaution we could. As I was finishing off the knot, the knot slipped. And my grip was still on the rope. And from the top of a five and a half meter ladder, I fell and landed on compacted dirt. Amen to that. But at the time, we the first words out of my mouth were, I can't breathe. We thought my lungs had collapsed, and there was a reasonable panic around the place, and I was meant to be in charge, so I decided to do the safety check. I could feel my toes against my feet. Thank you, Jesus. And then I sort of rolled over in the safety position and sat there for 20 minutes, not being able to breathe until ridiculous number of ambulance decided to come along and take me to hospital. But the next three months were some of the hardest times of my life to date. I couldn't move. I was at camp the next day, but I was very subdued with certain drugs. Uh, but I could walk, which was good, but at the time, my life stopped. I was in my second year of uni. I I, I I'd just done some exams and I had to do all these assignments that I did with one hand and I did pretty well, but then I got to the exams. I couldn't study, so I had to pull out of three of the four subjects that I was in. My uni career had now added a year and and I couldn't do work. I, I couldn't do youth. I was stuck at home. I was depressed. I was, this was a down for me. And there's still not a day I don't wake up and I'm not reminded by it, either by the scar or by pains of what actually happened. And I'm sure each of us has experienced downs, whether it's employment being pulled out from under us, whether it's uh, uh, illness, whether it's a, a significant loss in our lives of friends or family. There are downs, but there are ups. So each of us have experienced ups and downs. And they sort of tend to, not a rule, but let's just do it. This is someone's life. Severe ups followed by severe downs. See, but Paul here is saying that he has learned the secret of living in every situation, whether on a full stomach or an empty one, whether in the ups or the downs, he had learned to be content. Now this word content in the in the original Greek actually means self sufficient. It was a popular term among the Stoic philosophers, a certain way of thinking where you have to detach yourselves from bad emotions and be one with nature, and it's all very pretty. But they they love this term, self-sufficient. But for a Christian, it's not about sufficient in ourselves, but we are sufficient in Christ. Because Christ lives within us, We are adequate for all the demands of lives, the ups and the downs, through him who gives us strength. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency, as it says in the Amplified. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Incredibly simple thing that is so hard to actually get. Like I said, I've been wrestling with this for a number of weeks now, and I still haven't worked it out for myself. But hopefully we get some headway this morning. So I want to unpack this concept of being self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency this morning. Now notice here that Paul didn't just say when things are bad, but he also had to learn how to live when things were good, which Tells us that there are actually, he's talking about the extremes, the best of the best and the worst of the worst, and in both we are tempted. In both there are pitfalls. It's not just in the bad that we have to learn to live, it's also in the good we have to learn to live in contentment. Because as humans, in the lows, we struggle with contempt. Did I spell that right? My spelling's not great, so I hope you can decipher. I'll lift up the board in a second. In the lows, we struggle with contemptment towards God, which in the dictionary means this. It's the feeling with which a person regards anything considered mean, vile, or worthless. Could also be said disdain or scorn. In my bottom of the bottoms of my life, and that wasn't the only one, I really struggled with this concept of being contempt with God. I was mad at God. He stopped my life. He could have done something. I was annoyed. And I often told him. See, we we struggle with in the lows to actually be content. Instead, we slip into being contempt. Yet in the highs, when we have everything we think we need, our stomach is full, we struggle with complacency. Is that an M or an N? Oh well, someone can correct me later. In the highs, we struggle with complacency, which, if we look at the definition, says this to be pleased, especially with oneself or one's merits, advantages, or situation, often without awareness of some potential danger or defect, which is usually ourselves. So, in the highs, we struggle with complacency. I don't know if you're relating to this, but this is me. When I feel like I can do it on my own, when I'm pleased with my efforts, when, you know, God's there and I'll sing worship songs because He's a good God, but I'm, I'm doing okay right now, so I don't quite need you. See, see, there's pitfalls in both the highs and there's pitfalls in the lows, and we need to live with contentment to actually live in His will all the time. Not done yet. See, most of us have learnt how to be humbled because when we face difficulties, we run to God. But few have learnt how to abound. Contrary to common assumption, prosperity has probably done more damage to a believer than adversity. Prosperity has probably done more damage to us than adversity. But Paul had learnt the secret of what it meant to not live by the spiritual highs and lows, falling into the traps of each extreme, but to live in consistency, in contentment. Stay. I think we're good. He'd learned how to live that consistent, that line throughout whatever situations he's in because he had learned the secret of being content. See, it's like the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer can only register the temperature. It goes up and down with the situations. It goes up and down with its surroundings. But a thermostat regulates the surroundings and changes them when they need to be changed. Paul was a thermostat. He wasn't dictated to by his situations. Instead, he was perfectly content in each. And remembering he was in prison at the time of writing this letter. Let's just put it in perspective. He instead lived in contentment, went right on steadily doing his work to serve Christ. And the way he talked at the end of his letter shows that he was not a victim of his circumstances, but he was a victor. But how? How? This is the big question. This is my question, my honest question to this. How did he learn to do this? So I want to reiterate uh, reiterate the meaning of contentment by reading a portion of Warren Wisby's book, Be Joyful. And a, a lot of what he... Rights is where a lot of my thought process in this has come from. I just want to read this. Contentment is not complacency, nor is it false peace based on ignorance. The complacent believer, the one at the top, is unconcerned about others, while the contented Christian wants to share their blessings. Contentment is not an escape from the battle down below, but rather an abiding peace And confidence in the midst of battle, I have learned in whatsoever whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And Paul outlines a number of resources that God has given us to actually draw from in these times to find that perfect contentment in Him. The first one is this, first of three, the overruling providence. Of God is the first resource that we've been given to find contentment in Him. This idea of God working all things together for the good of those who love Him is a hard concept to get our heads around, especially in a scientific orientated world which sees this vast natural machine as one that not even God Himself can interrupt. This is a machine that goes and not even God himself can touch it or intervene. See, that's not the way God works and that's not the reality of the situation. So the word providence comes from the Greek words pro meaning before and video meaning to see. God's providence simply means God sees it beforehand. It is the working of God in advance to arrange circumstances and situations for the fulfilling of his purposes in a fallen world soon to be restored. Amen. See, the story of Joseph illustrates this perfectly. Joseph was a dude who was envied by his brothers, sold into slavery by those brothers, and he finds himself a slave, works his way up in the house of a leading official in Egypt, and then was accused of some not very nice things that weren't true, and he got thrown in prison, and in prison he sat there rotting. And then he rises and he interprets a couple of dreams which then leads him to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams which says you've got seven years of some pretty good times and you've got seven years of some pretty bad times and from there he was promoted. And now he's second in charge of Egypt in charge of actually this time of storing up in the storehouses in the good seven years so they could survive the bad seven years. After A little while, the bad seven years came on, and all his brothers, lo and behold, were starving because times weren't doing so good. The droughts hit. So then his brothers come in to Egypt and say, can you help us out a little bit? And after a little while, there's a revelation that this was actually their brother, who is too see They fell at his feet and did the woe is me thing. But I, I love Joseph's response in this. It's a long story at the end. I thought, you know, I'll just flick through it. It's actually a long ending. It teases out a lot of information, but I just want to cut it down to when Joseph turns around and says, Do not be upset. This is in Genesis forty-five five. Do not be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Whoa. This guy had not had a nice life. We are talking decade plus of being a slave, of being in prison, of being falsely accused. He had been through the ringer and still he could turn around and say with joy, It was God. A little later he reassured his brothers again, saying Am I God that I can punish you? This is in Genesis fifty twenty. 20. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. God intended it all for good. Now, I'm not one to say that God causes bad things and God causes sickness. I do not believe that. I'm happy to have that conversation later. It's a different topic. I do not believe that. But in a fallen world, bad things happen because of the choice of man in the beginning. And what this is saying is within that fallen world, God still has his way. How good is that? Within that fallen world, God can still turn what the devil meant to steal, kill, and destroy. He can turn it for the good of those who love him. See, Paul knew this in Romans 8, 28. I touched on it before. All things work together for the good of those who love him. His providence caused the Philippian church to become concerned with him again and to be able to provide this gift right at the exact time that he needed it most. Life is not a series of accidents. To... To fully see his providence, you, you can't accept the premise that life is a series of accidents because we see here God was at work beforehand for now. And he's at work now for now and later and beyond later. See, that is why God is infinite. He can see all this stuff. We can't fathom it because we are finite. Life is a series of divine appointments. In Psalm 32, 8, we're reminded, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you, says the Lord. Faith in His providence is a wonderful source to find contentment and peace. The overruling providence of God. The second thing is this, the unfailing power of God. I'm moving quick through this because I just really want to hit all this. There's a lot here. This is a constant journey for me still. The second thing is this, the unfailing power of God is another resource we have been given. Paul makes it very clear that he's not complaining. Very clear. At the start of that passage I read, you didn't have to. Uh, you didn't have to do this because I, I was actually not in need because I have all I have in God. But thank you. He, he wasn't. If you look in all the background, he wasn't actually shunning the gift and saying, "Well, I didn't need it anyway." He was very, very thankful. But he was making. His, he was making a point. He wasn't complaining. Rather, he had learned to find peace and happiness, not in circumstances, possessions, or positions. But his happiness and peace, his contentment, came from something deeper. His contentment came from something deeper. The word learned that we see in verse 12 there, it's learned in NIV as well, but in different translations it might change because it's actually different from the word learned in verse 11. See, the second learned, if it says that in your Bible, in verse 12, actually means to be initiated into the mysteries of and is uh, mysteries of something. And it's, uh, it, it's borrowed from the pagan religions that actually talked about the inner secrets. So you're initiated into the inner secrets by trials or, or tests, etc. So what Paul, he changes tack a little bit here. And when he talks again about this learning process, this initiation process, he's actually saying that he has been initiated through his trials and testing into the wonderful secret of contentment. So it wasn't just that he learned it in those situations, he was initiated into it. Which means when he gave his when he was converted, when, when Jesus revealed himself to him, it wasn't he had that content line. He was initiated into this ability to hold on to these resources that God has given. In spite of poverty or prosperity, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was the power of Christ within him which gave him spiritual contentment. When things are going against you, what hidden resources do you draw from? Anger? Anxiety? Depression? Fear? When things are going well, what hidden resources do you draw from? Those things that are deep within us, those Core instincts that we actually have to be initiated into changing. In the uptimes, do you draw from pride, arrogance, complacency? All of nature depends on hidden resources. The great trees send their roots down into the earth and to draw up water and minerals. Rivers have their sources in the snow-capped mountains. The most important part of a tree is the part you cannot see. The root system and the most important part of a Christian's life is the part only God sees. Unless we draw upon the deep resources of God by faith, we shall fail against the pressures of life. Paul depended on the power of Christ at work in his life. I can through Christ. I can through Christ. And when he talks about I can do everything in Christ, he's actually literally talking about circumstances. He has the ability to face the extreme highs and extreme lows of circumstance. And in Christ he stands, and in Christ he can. Because he's drawing from the innermost resource, the power of God that is alive within us, that is alive within every person who said, God, I will follow you, and I believe what your son did on the cross. We have been given an inner resource of his power, and if we claim it by faith, then we find contentment in the unfailing power of God. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He talks about the vine. Apart from him, we cannot grow fruit. But attached to him, when we find our resources in him, in his structure, in his church, in his ways, in his will, then we find an unfailing power that never ceases. An unfailing power that no weapon formed against it shall prosper. And it's not me, it's Christ that is within me. We can draw on the unfailing power of God to find the contentment in life regardless of our stomach being full or our stomach being empty. Hope this is making sense. The unchanging promise of God is the third resource the unchanging promise of God. I'll only touch on this one briefly. Philippians 4.19. And he's sort of wrapping up the thanks that goes for a little bit. He says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, Paul saw and understood that their gift was an investment, not in him personally, but in what God was doing. And he was saying with the utmost confidence, you can expect a return on your investment through the riches and the glory of God, which we find in Christ Jesus. Now, God does not provide all our greeds. He provides for all of our needs. So he was saying... In the will of God, expect a return on your investment. When a child of God is in the will of God, serving for the glory of God, then they will have everything, every need met. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary to China, one of the first. Amazing man, incredible story. But he often said this, when God's work is done God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. When God's work is done, for, is done God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. We will ne- he will never leave us nor forsake us. We can stand on his promises regardless of what our eyes can see because he has a far better perspective. If we reflect back to the providence of God, God has an incredible perspective on the reality of the situation. And if we trust in him, which we know we can, if we unpack his word, and that's why I didn't want to spend too long on these unchanging promises because we kind of have it here. If you want to learn more, open it. If you want to find the rock in which we stand, the rock in which we sing about, the rock in which we can find contentment, open this. And the promises that he gives, we can actually claim for ourselves and expect that if we are living in the will of God, if we are chasing after what he wants for our lives, and we can stand on those promises. He does not move. Unfortunately, we do. And we have to work at finding our contented level in the ups and downs of the situations of life. Contentment comes in the abundant resources that we can find in him, if the band could join me. As do I just want to grab this thing down? Contentment comes from the abundant resources that we find in him. Those resources of his providence, unfailing power, and unchanging promise. Promises it's plural. Were sufficient for Paul to be content in every situation and they are sufficient for us also if we choose to draw from them in faith. I am self-sufficient in God's sufficiency. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. We're going to sing that You'll Come song if we can. Yeah? You'll come? Yeah. I, I That just has some good words at the start of it. Um that I think we need to repeat. It's an incredibly simply complex idea because I don't know about you, but I like to complicate it because I think surely I have to do more. But that is the miracle of the grace that God showed on Calvary. If you read the Bible and come to the conclusion that it's about our love for God, you are gravely mistaken. Because this book focuses on His love for us before we loved Him. This whole book, the whole point of Christ. To find contentment is nothing we have to tick the boxes for. To find contentment, we just need to be obedient day by day, putting our lives in His hands, standing on His providence, standing on His power, and standing on His promises. And in that, whether we're in highs, lows, stuck in traffic, tragedy in the family, whether we've just one lotto, we can be content in Him. Let's pray. We can start the romantic music. Lord God, I thank you that we can stand on what you have done for us before we even knew you. And right now, Lord, I, I believe you're working on the hearts of the people here and myself to see that we can be content in every situation. Before we go any further, if there is anyone here who's never said, I want to follow Jesus, I need this Jesus. Let me just explain it really quickly. He died on a cross perfect and he took all of our sins and shame away so we can be restored and we can enter into God's court. We are welcome there because of what God did. He sent His Son to die so we could be reconciled to Him. And all we have to do is say, I accept that truth and start to walk towards Him. And in that, we are saved. So if that's you here this morning and maybe it's either been a really long time or you've never done this before ever. If you want to say, God, I'm committing to this truth. Then I want you really quick, really bravely just to throw up your hand right now. If that's you. No one's looking around. Cool. Second thing I want to pray for is for contentment. Seems appropriate. And it's one of those things that, is something you need to search yourself. You need to find that contentment in yourself. You need to assess what your deepest resources are. When the crunch comes, do you get angry? When the crunch comes, do you get anxious? When the crunch comes... Those are the things that you can say, you know what, I'm coming against that and I'm actually standing on what He has for me. In the good times, maybe it's the complacency of feeling pretty good on your own, not praying as much, not reading as much because you're doing all right. So these next few moments, I'm just going to pray for you. The light's going to go down and we're just going to sing. And in that singing, when we sing these words at the start of this song, I want you to really think about those deep resources in your life. And so, you know what, Lord, I'm coming back to what you have. I'm going to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. So, Father, I just pray, you know the hearts of every person in this room. And Lord, I pray that even now you would start to work. You would send your Holy Spirit to minister in our hearts and minds, that you would reveal to us the things that we need to address in our lives. That up until this point, we may have been drawing from resources that are not of you. And instead, we've been trying to be self-sufficient in our own sufficiency, which is not sufficient enough. But Lord, I thank you that we can stand in your sufficiency and in that. We can be strong. We can be content. So Lord God, even now, just reveal to us what you want us to think on, what you want us to believe in. I pray that you would raise our faith where we need a boost of faith, that you would increase peace where we need peace, that you would give a wake-up call in complacency. Lord God, wherever any person is at in this room, in these next few moments, work deeply in our hearts. Move in us, Lord God. We do not want to be complacent Christians and we do not want to see you in contempt. You are our God and we are choosing to follow in your will. So work in our hearts today. Amen.